0: Hello and welcome to Coastal Connections, the Road to the Isles.
1: The podcast exploring the timelessly alluring appeal of the West Highlands of Scotland.
0: I'm Neil Robertson, a travel writer living in Loch Harbour.
1: And I'm the producer Freya. Together we're exploring the wild sides and social hubs of Lochaber to get to know the people and nature who call this beautiful landscape home. And we hope we're going to inspire you to come here, to slow down, sink in and soak up the very special atmosphere and hospitality. In our last episode we were in Glenfinnan and today we've stretched out further west to Strontian on the banks of Loch Sunart. Neil, for listeners who don't know it, can you give us a little flavour of the geography of these parts?
0: Well, it's um, it feels very different to the road to the Isles to the north, and that's mainly because of its accessibility, I think. It is harder to reach, and it's got winding, single-track roads, but the payback for that extra effort you make is absolutely huge. Uh, th- I think there really is no sense trying to do the peninsulas down here quickly. You'd just been missing the point. The regions of Ardgour, Sunar, Moidar, Morven, and Ardnemarkin require a reset of the mindset and an acclimatisation to a new pace because the scenery is simply stunning. And it will be all the more atmospheric and alluring the more time that you allow it.
1: I totally agree with you on that. I think it was quite tangible, actually, that there were far fewer people down there, and the people that we did see, you just didn't get that sense that they were on some hit-and-run route to get their top pictures or to, to do it in a couple of days. It's just not possible, is it?
0: No, no, it's a very different mindset that you come with. I think you you come more as an explorer rather than a, a kind of mm-hmm. holiday maker. But as for Strontian, the village itself, it's, it's one of the few hubs that you'll encounter It's a sparsely populated part of the world down here anyway, and human settlement is is therefore thinly spread, but the village is a good springboard. It came to be, really, in the 18th century when it was used as a base by lead miners working locally. Among the various metals that they were excavating over the decades was this mysterious new find that ended up taking its name from the village, and that was the element of strontium. So I bet that brings back high school memories of periodic tables and uh, and the like racing back for you.
1: Yeah, it's actually, it's nice for you to explain that those two things are closely connected. I always just assumed that they were, but didn't really know for sure. So thank you for uh, taking me back. And Strontian is where we begin today's episode. I had a great couple of days at the Strontian Hotel and before we went on to our main adventure for the day, Neil tipped me off to a couple of women that I just had to meet. So after a night out at the Screen Machine, which is the mobile Highland Cinema, and I have to say a top night out, I got up nice and early and travelled just a few minutes up the road from Strontian to the top end of Loch Sunart. And at the side of the road is a small green shed and that's where I met the first of today's wonderful guests.
2: Morning, I'm Nick Goddard, and this is I'm my friend Justine, Justine. <laughs> and it's nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning, it's about four degrees in the air, That's generous. it's probably about <laughs> three degrees in the water, <laughs> and we're on the banks of Loch Art, uh, the sun's shining across the water, the birds are probably going to try and drown us out, um, which is good because we're going to be shrieking in a minute yeah, as we get into the snow water. snow on the hills. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Justine, how did you get started with world swimming? Um, I grew up
3: and worked in the tropics all my life, so swimming was my sport. And I came here 20 years ago and really missed swimming. And for years and years, a friend of mine said, oh, go on, you'll love it, you'll love it. And I resisted because it was too cold. And then finally, about four years ago, I gave in and and started swimming again. And I just absolutely love it for the swimming. I'm not someone who does it for the cold. I do it despite (laughs) the cold.
2: I'm probably the opposite, I think I actually first got into the lock to cool down. It was the summer, I'm a woman of a certain age, and we used to drive past the lock on a really hot day and think, well that looks really nice. Um, And then actually it was Justine (laughs) who pushed me towards interviewing a local friend who's a swimming instructor for a newspaper article. And so she was enthusing about this wild swimming and I thought, actually I have kind of looked at the lock and thought it looked quite nice. So she said, well, come with me and I'll I'll give you the kind of the guided swim. So we did just that. Me and my daughter came in in full on neoprene and got in and thought, well, this is wonderful. And then just haven't stopped. I've I've lost the neoprene over the three years. uh, So now I'm just in a swimsuit. But it's just such a lovely way of reconnecting to the wild. So I like the cold. I actually miss it in the summer when it gets too warm for me. For me, the cold is a real centering and bringing you back to yourself. So we talk a lot about mindfulness, and it's a real buzzword, but actually there is nothing more mindful than having everything else emptied out of your brain except for one thing. And frankly, that is, oh my God, it's cold. But actually that's enough to bring you just to that. then you have to think about your breathing because the, the cold takes your breath away. So then you start to think about that. Then you actually hear yourself. It's the only time in my day where I'm conscious of my breathing. And it's a really healthy thing because you're trying to regulate it or slow it down. Then you have to start thinking about your stroke. So it's it just takes you out of all of the things that might be happening outside the lock and focuses just on you and the water.
3: Yeah, For me, it, I, I always stand by the lock side and think, nah, I'm really not feeling <laughs> it when it's cold like this. But actually, I do feel invigorated afterwards. But yeah, for me, it's just the the being in the middle of the wild it's there's nothing better than being in the loft
1: and I suppose we should talk about the safety elements of this because especially in the winter if you've not done it before there must be a bit of a risk
2: I think you have to be aware that it is an extreme sport you're putting yourself in a situation where if you fell in that cold water at any other point you'd be in trouble so I think the big catchphrase would be swim your swim. So don't try and keep up with anyone else. Don't have a fixed point in your head that you're going to try and reach. Don't have a time that you think you're going to try and achieve. Just get in and constantly keep checking in with yourself to make sure that you're feeling okay. As it's a sea lock, it's really important to be
3: aware of the tides if you're swimming in locks or not. Just just to make sure you know which direction to start swimming in. Similarly, winds. Um, just just make sure you know what's
2: happening in the environment as well. And wear a swim float. I'd say the other thing is is don't focus on the getting in. Focus on the getting out. Have more of an eye on what you're going to do after your swim than maybe during or before your swim. Good advice. And tell someone that where you're going. If, if you haven't got someone stood on the shore watching you, then make sure someone knows where you are.
1: Well, Justine and Nick, thank you very, very much for that. It is a bit chilly right at the moment, <laughs> so I'm not going to keep you any longer, and I'm going to let you get in the water. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And just to set the scene for people, the, the sun is out. It's the rain has just come on. We've got a really stunning rainbow on the
2: edge of the lock here. But I guess the
1: rain just does not matter for you. Get does it anyway?
2: Um, although look at this. You can see it coming in now. Oh my god, <laughs> there is literally a cloud racing towards us. The weather has taken quite an extreme turn in the last oh, 45 seconds and that really bears out what we were saying before about safety and being aware of your surroundings so you you can see it's pushing that way so the last thing we're going to do is get in the water and go with it yeah. because then we're going to have to battle it to get back are you okay with the fact that there's little white tops on the water here yes yeah, i think what i love about particularly going in every day is every swim is different so, I don't know what wildlife's gonna appear. I don't know from one minute to the next what the weather's gonna do. Uh.
1: <laughs> and as I'm getting hit in the face with what
2: could be sleet or hail, Nick is stripping off. Right. You ready for the scream? Yes.
1: <laughs> I think I might
2: be screaming, let alone you guys. <laughs>
1: Well, the wind, I'm not exaggerating when I say the wind is howling up Loch Sunar. I'm getting smacked in the face by rain. It is absolutely freezing. The sun has just disappeared. And these two feisty women, one of them in a swimsuit, have just got in the water and are paddling out.
3: There's blue sky now.
1: I'm learning that there's a degree of
2: optimism required to engage with wild swimming. (laughs) How are you feeling now? Alive. Alive, yes.
1: Well, I can really understand how whatever stresses might come your way for the rest of the day, nothing is probably going to be more invigorating than that. You know how mighty you are, for sure. Yeah. very fierce woman. I will let you get out of the cold.
0: (laughs) Oh, I just love this stuff. The energy and the the rush that folk get from, from just getting in the water, especially in surrounds like these, it's just immense.
1: It was very impressive, actually. I felt kind of a bit more alive just by standing next to them. But I really couldn't believe the way that that weather rolled in. And Nick and Justine, they just took it in their stride while I was standing there like a total Jesse trying not to get blown away. Thanks so much to them for an exhilarating start to the day.
0: Yeah, I have to agree that um, having done this a few times myself, I tend to be a bit of a fair weather swimmer. Um, when, the, when the water is turquoise in the West Coast, you cannot help but get into the sea. But for me, some of the, the choppier days when you, you <laughs> risk life and limb to get splashed about, maybe not for me. So uh, all credit to them because that's uh, one hell of an achievement.
1: Definitely. I think I should stick to the, the wild duking, Quick in and out, straight back out again.
0: Yeah. And for our next story then, we are going to stay connected to Loch Sunart because just a few miles down the road from Strontian, at Laga, live Andy and Allie Jackson. They're a big part of the local community and, like many who call the highlands home, have multiple strings to their bow.
1: One of those strings is managing the Isle of Carna in Loch Sunart. It's a 600-acre island that's now run as a nature reserve and a holiday destination
0: and a very special holiday destination at that. There are only three houses still standing on the island and two of them can be rented for an off-grid experience and one that's steeped in nature and deep solitude.
1: So when Andy offered to take us across to explore the island and meet its latest inhabitants, we both jumped at the chance. We boarded Andy's boat, r one, and we were joined by Toby the Greyhound wearing his winter coat and life jacket.
4: So the waiting guys just grab the rail mm-hmm. and then just step straight on straight on in one go don't be halfway in halfway out okay. when you get to
0: uh... <coughs> the loch is teeming with life above and below the shoreline the winter water is crystal clear and we saw huge starfish right by the jetty You'll also see scallops and mussels really easily, and Loch Sunar is, is famous for its giant skates, which attracts keen fishers. Dolphins, eagles, and otters can also be spotted regularly.
1: It was really nice actually when we went there, wasn't it? Because it was just at the tail end of winter and there was a real like you said, the water was so clear, but there was just a real clarity to the air, to the light, there was no midges. It was it was kind of it was cold but it was crisp and calm, it had just a really special quality.
0: Winter in the highlands is a, it's a really interesting thing actually because you think of it going to be like freezing and torrential rain. But actually some of the nicest, clearest days do tend to be in winter and obviously as you say there's no midges. But um, I think it's the coastal thing. There's just a mildness as well to the air and sometimes quite often you get a stillness and because there's no there's no tourists, there's no human side to to the bustle it can just be utterly idyllic.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. That sense of peace was was really heightened. It was very special. And we really felt that as we crossed. Andy led us through the 500 million year old geological history of the Fjordal Lock. And it has some of the deepest waters in the UK. Andy is just so knowledgeable about the area and its natural history. And one thing that really got my attention were the prawn creels that he pointed out in the water. It's a very sustainable form of fishing and if you're staying on Karna, have a word with Andy and he'll arrange for some langoustines to be delivered to the house, 150 metres from creel to plate.
0: Delicious. and uh, The best in the world, in my humble opinion. Andy has made it his mission to regenerate Karna's wildlife as best he can, taking his lessons from science and his cues from nature, interfering only minimally and that involves some unexpected residents. Among them is a herd of shaggy, gentle cows who are invigorating the island's ecosystem. Can you see, can you see the
4: cows up on the edge, look? Oh yes, yeah. So we'll go up and see them. Okay. They'll, just, they'll probably come down as soon as we set for that. <laughs> yes. We'll go up and see them.
0: So, over to Andy to introduce us to the sights and the smells of the very special
4: Isle of Karna. So, OK, welcome to Kana. My name's Andy, Andy Jackson. I'm the, I used to be the caretaker of the island, but now in fact I am the manager of the island. So my role here is to, to take holidaymakers on and make sure their stay works well, but also manage the environment, manage the reconstruction of the island. Um, if you go auto-watching, you, want, you tend to want to find like a point sticking out and then have a look at that, and then yeah. you'll find the spraints. Now these are the sprints so Sprint is otter poo basically and they, they tend to use it to, to leave messages so I'll give you a little that? smell from the news today
2: I'm
4: Can sure you see that's it? telling a thousand stories to yeah there is now, yeah, not particularly <laughs> unpleasant a hint of seaweed, <laughs> has has seaweed. To <laughs> otherwise. Um, okay, slightly <laughs> jasmine
1: Oh, slightly oh,
4: scented. Up. That's an acquired taste.
1: Oh, licorice, I think maybe.
4: Yeah. Right. Anyway, not particularly unpleasant. If that was mink, which aren't such a dissimilar diet to, to otters, it would have been awful. Right. So right. somehow otters in otter poo doesn't smell that bad. That's <laughs> a real experience with the guests I have. They, they, <laughs> they've never smelt it before, and then they never forget it.
1: I think you need cool. to come up with a new car and a scented candle. Well, ah, yes.
4: Ah, yes. An
0: otter poo candle.
4: Well, <laughs> yeah, see how it goes. <laughs> look, can you see? It's absolutely covering the pontoon. Once you get your eye in for it, look, it's absolutely everywhere. Oh. Crab floor? The, uh, the, Crab yeah, rectum. crabs. That's otters, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's all otters. So in the winter, they tend to eat crabs, and in the summer they tend to eat fish. Okay, the diet changes. It's a good diet. Yeah. Well, this is a view you don't often get On the pontoon. Normally, when you wait, when you walk out on seaweed, you tend to see seaweed all laying flat on the beach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now, if you have a if you will look through there, what would you say that looks like now? Almost like trees. Trees, forest. Yeah. That's exactly how it appears. If you go swimming through that with snorkeling, yeah. it's like, fl- like a bird flying through trees. forest, yeah. yeah. this is uh, rack. Good for the soul. Mm, mm-hmm. please. Mm-hmm. Cottage. Um, this is our cottage. Um, was originally a, a, a like a black house with with the rounded uh, stone walls, and it would have originally had a like a turf yeah. um, roof. But its its roots go back a lot of lot of years. Yeah. The other house, the owner's house, there, um, kind house, was built in the 1920s. So it was a much more modern with with gable ends, you know, yeah. a straightforward gable ends. Yeah. And the, re- and the house around the corner was an old caretaker's house from a, a lot of years ago and they gifted him a little bit of land so only that part of that family comes up and it's not used by anyone else. So the, the only dwelling places here are these two cottages. Okay. No one else here. I wonder if you've been up to the top for the highest point for a view. Can you get up there? Yes, you can. We have a lot of visitors to the island because it's a Marilyn.
0: Uh. Ah, okay. Right,
4: you've heard of Munros. Yeah. everybody's heard of Munros. Yeah. A Marilyn is a, a, a hill that's above five hundred feet, and there's people who go out and they bag them. Yeah. And so there are loads and loads of marilyns and only <laughs> only a few people have now achieved all the marylins. There's that many yeah, to do yeah, okay. in the UK that yes. it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of walking to do them. Is that the uh, one below Graham's then? It's not just the height, right. it's 500 feet clear of the nearest point. Okay. So you can be on Munroes, Mar- yeah. three Munroes in heaps like that, uh-huh. and one of them could be a Marilyn uh-huh. because it's 500 feet clear. Yeah. Yeah. You, okay. the, pit, the summit has got to be 500 foot clear, so right. it could include Munroes. The view from the top is, is, is spectacular because yeah. it positions the island in Sunat, uh, and then you've got views down into Teacus and views across Orlindsay and to view, Dr- And then you can see right out to the west, you can see coal. And on clear days, you can just about make out the outer Hebrides. Oof. That's a long way off. Yes. Yeah. Karna is a conservation island. Do you want to talk us through how that all came to be? We soon realised that when we, when we arrived here that we had to do a little bit more than tourism. And tourism per se has an offer and we needed to value out that offer. Secondly, for, this is my own self, I feel a responsibility If you're taking care of land, you should actually improve it and, and, and get it working better. So it actually made a lot of sense for us to improve the offer for the tourism by increasing the biodiversity on the island itself. So there are more birds of prey, there is more prey for the birds to, to feed on, that there are more wild flowers and therefore more moths and more butterflies. And the more you can see if you're on, on holiday, the better your experience is. So it was a no brainer for us. Um, it all goes hand in hand that we would improve it. So that's more or less what we've done. We could do some more. I was gonna say, what I was gonna do is walk up to the cows. You fancy that? Because yes, yes. they're an experience. The because you know my background was tool making, aircraft tool making. I had no real contact with farm animals or animals. I was a bit intimidated at first, but now I've worked with them very, very loosely and they're the most the gentlest animals I've ever come across. And they, the way they interact with, with themselves and how they've learnt the island and they know where the food is, they know where the shelter is. We've not fed these animals now for three years. Wow! Completely self, self-sufficient. <laughs> Okay, guys. Look, um, we're only 150 metres away from the cows, so let's go and see them. Hello. So this is this big one here is big red, and yeah, she's it's... the lead cow. She's the oldest, uh-huh. and I think I think she's pretty well in charge. It's a little, really quite a complicated little setup, aren't they beautiful? Oh,
1: she's such a
4: beautiful cow. What's that? <laughs> hey. There's much more going on in there than you think, isn't yeah. there? And it's it's if you keep them in fields and you don't stimulate them, they just become dumb animals. Mm. Give them some uh, space and, and some latitude to learn for themselves, yeah. they will learn. And you can see, they are yeah. learning. Yeah, so the importance of this... this um, Matriarch herd is that we, if we do breed from them they will raise um, cattle themselves that we can give on to other projects that have already learnt uh-huh. the base instincts that these guys have done Yeah. Is this your favourite one Andy? Um. It is the most friendly, I mean I couldn't do this to 488, she just wouldn't let me do it um, I think I love 488 because of her character and the way she is um, But this is, this is the most compliant. you know, I I can check there's a tick there, look. But I can, here she goes. Here's a good girl. They are so gentle. Mm. This is a lovely experience to have. If you've never had cows before, you could see why you could be frightened of cows and you shouldn't be. It 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 once they've settled. Now there's an island. um there's several several places they've got wild herds of c- cattle, and they've gone feral. And people get, are, are really frightened to go amongst them. But I but but my experience here and these are near enough feral, because they're not they're certainly not here because we're feeding them. Uh, they're here because they they're enjoying this. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a diverse species, it can take in. The climate change, mm-hmm. which we are we're experiencing much bit different rushes of climate now. We're getting much broader sort of spectrum of climate, and if you don't have a diversity of environment, it will you just monoculture. You're likely to fail, or well, you will fail. Mm-hmm. That's the end of. If you watch the program called Kiss the Earth,
1: yeah, I love the that program. program,
4: and um, the guy in it that's in it is um, Alan Savory. Now, Alan Savory is one of the lecturers of Caroline, who owns the cows. One of her projects was to find a bit of land, and that's how we partnered together, because she was wanting to see and understand these creatures, working with Alan Savory, in the Scottish, not the African savannah and other places which he's very famous for. That's a very brittle environment. This is brittle, and when you use the word brittle, it means it could easily fail, doesn't take much to make it fail and once you've got grasslands here with an overgrazing and the amount of stuff that's been taken out it wouldn't take much for this to fail beautiful as it looks a lot of this is what's called a green desert it's it's it is being hammered and it needs to be encouraged back and that's what we're trying that's what we're trying to do here is to encourage back a massive amount of diversity and these fellows are helping it what they're doing on here is they're, 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 slightly, they're eating and they're taking down these tufts. Look, see how they're, they're cutting these down. And this is now better grazed than the stuff we, we came through. And this will eventually green up. Instead of being clumps of tussocks, it'll, it'll actually green up into it. And also the amount of trees that are trying to come through this. We're trying to encourage regen of natural woodland. And you can see all this here. None of this existed 30, 40 years ago. So this is all regen that's happening. Do you, you see the blue as we came up? That's the waterworks. So yes, you know, we talked about power. Yeah. The other thing we need is uh, water. Yeah. And of course that's highly regulated now. has been for a long time. So the water comes down that gully, collected in a, a tiny weenie dam. See the pipe over there? A the little storage pot. We store it there. We take it down to these blue pots. And then we have a—it's a mechanical pump, all mechanical pump, no, no other electric parts, and it doses the water with a little bit of chlorine. So because we've got the cows, we have to chlorinate the water. So the water is just treated with just enough to, to make sure it's safe, yeah. but it's absolutely beautiful water. Really nice. Oh, it's really, really nice. Makes the best cup of tea. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the and. The best dram. I was going to see no, it. it, it, it <laughs> if you have a little bit of water with your dram, it, it just brings out, brings yeah. it out properly here. Yeah. What, what we have here, if you were to go to a hotel or a resort, you could compare one against the other by how many tennis courts it had, how many saunas they had, how many swimming pools, how many restaurants. When you look at the likes of this, you can't, because most of what you're selling, isn't listable as 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 a it's it's mostly nothing the silence how can you sell silence you you can't quantify the actual quantity of silence the interaction with the animals is so rare you can't buy you can't buy that anywhere else and you couldn't put it in a brochure it is what you experience and you, well, the other thing i like to do is for people to to come here because they think it's a nice quiet island but then experience all the other things for free that come with it without actually sort of looking for it. In other words, they're not saying, where is, the, where is this experience? It actually just comes to you. you just, you're just here and you suddenly go, I didn't know cows could be so friendly. But the experience of the what you felt, that you just experienced that yourself. And that's a free experience. You can't put it in a brochure. You, you see cows as four-legged beef and milk providers. And we treat them as that, and they are. The sum of them is so much more, and there's so much more they could give us, other than those products. And 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 you you're seeing something that we are missing because the speed we live our lives. Can't put into words, can you? But you are actually seeing something that is wrong with a lot of the way we see stuff because you want to give it a label and you want to give it stuff. And you think you actually know what cows are about until you free yourself of everything you know and actually see these for real. And I think that's the Khan experience. I'm still here at the minute, but when I leave and my boat disappears and the sound of the boat disappears, you will suddenly realize you and you look around, you are on an island and you're on your own and uh, you have left the outside world that is uh, it's very very hard to, to think what that feels like until you experience it but for most people it just it just the outside world just just drains away from them and it's just themselves
2: mm-hmm.
4: and it's not just the same arrest you, you get by having a weekend off it, this this enriches your soul and you come away with with uh, a different outlook and a much more peaceful outlook
0: I'm so grateful to Andy Jackson and his wife, Ali, for their expertise, their hospitality, and for taking us over to Karna. It was such a special experience. I think there's so much that we can all learn about conservation using this little island as a bit of a test case and hopefully as a benchmark for wider change.
1: Yeah, it was really, it was really quite inspiring and affecting on quite a few levels for me, and I think for you too, Neil. I mean... That sense of Andy just working with the land and letting the animals do their thing with the the grass and the earth and the way that everything just works together, keeping it simple, but just giving it space and time to recover and breathe. And for, for us as humans as well, it was a very restorative visit. I mean, it was only a few hours on that wee island, but it really felt like another world. And I've actually already booked a holiday there. I was hooked on that silence as soon as we docked.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's just nothing artificial or manufactured or commercial about the experience. It's all very much, it is what you make it. But being able to have that escapism from the busy life that we all lead, having that silence um, and, and the power of nature all around you, that's, that's uniquely special
1: yeah I absolutely agree and you know we weren't given some special private experience where it would be different to what people would experience if they go and stay there that is what you get basically nothing which is is what makes it so good
0: spot on and if you'd like to find out more about Karna and the various ways that you can get involved with everything that's going on there take a look at the website isleofkarna.co.uk
1: Thanks so much to you for listening. I hope you're going to join us for some more.
0: We'll be walking through Historic Woods to discover a chapter in the story of the Highland Clearances. We'll be exploring a captivating West Highland estate and also hearing some Gaelic song.
1: And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could like, subscribe and share. Bye for now.
0: Sláinte. Coastal Connections Road to the Isles is produced by Freya Hellyer. Many thanks also to Les Back for the additional music and to the podcast sponsor Highlands and Islands Enterprise.